0: This is Crossroads with Clayton King. I want to invite you to join me in this message as if you were sitting in a room filled with 1,200 college students at Anderson University in South Carolina, because that's exactly where I preached this message. It's a special place to me because my son is in the room, he's a student there, I am minister in residence here, so I see a lot of familiar faces in the audience. And I want you to just imagine that you're in the room with us listening to this message on the power of our words and how important it is that we use our mouth to encourage and build up and not tear down. Enjoy. I'm gonna be in James chapter three. I'd love for you to join me there if you have a Bible, if you have an old school Bible or one on your phone. James chapter three, I wanna talk about something today um, that is something I personally struggle with. And so I'm gonna be very transparent today in this. And I wanna make sure though, before I read this, you understand a couple of things about this passage. So the man writing these words is not only the first leader of the church in Jerusalem. When I say like the first leader, I mean, Jesus has literally just a few years earlier, before this was written, been crucified outside the city gates of Jerusalem, buried and then raised from the dead. So the first church that ever existed was in Jerusalem. This man, James, was the bishop of or the leader of that church. So this is a guy that knows what he's talking about. He has some authority. This also happens to be a special man because he had a brother that you may have heard of. He also probably lives in your heart. His name is Jesus. This is Jesus's actual brother. So Mary had other children besides Jesus. Jesus was her first, but she had other sons and daughters. And we know that from the gospels. James was the brother of Jesus and church tradition tells us that he came to faith in his own brother as the Messiah. Later on, now, now that to me is one of the greatest defenses of the truth of the gospel. I've got a brother and I know all the faults of my brother. My brother grew up with me. He knows all of my sins and faults. How much would you have to be convinced that your brother or sister was the actual Messiah and son of God? What would it take to convince you that your brother or your sister was actually the savior promised in the scriptures? So James is writing a letter And in the middle of his letter, he sort of switches gears a little bit. And I wanna encourage you today with these words about the power of what we say. That's what I'm specifically talking about today. The power of the words that we use and how they not only affect the people that we say them to, they affect the people that we say words about and they affect us. The words that we use in a lot of ways are are a marker of who we really are. And that's what James says here. This is how he begins this part of his letter. Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. Now that gets my attention because I'm a pastor. I'm an evangelist. I'm a writer. Pretty much everything I do, I use words. So I know that when I, in some way, shape or form, when I stand before the Lord Jesus Christ on judgment day, I will not be judged for my sins because my sins have already been judged. Jesus took my sin. And if you're a Christian, Jesus took your sin when he died on the cross in your place. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you will not be judged according to your sin. Jesus took that judgment. It's what we call, the Bible calls it propitiation. He stood in our place. But the Bible does teach us that even as believers, we will all give an account for every deed and for every word that comes out of our mouth. James says, because he is a teacher, He's a pastor, he's a shepherd, he is a a bishop or an elder over the church in Jerusalem. And James knew, I've got authority over people. I have influence over people. And I, as a teacher of the word, as a witness of Jesus, my own brother, I stand up and tell people on a weekly basis, probably on a daily basis, that they should put their faith in Jesus and then he had to shepherd this flock, this congregation of believers in Jerusalem. And so not only with the words he used on the Lord's day when he proclaimed the truth of the scripture, but also in the way that he treated people every other day of the week, he knew that he was gonna be held to a higher standard based on the words that came out of his mouth. Now I don't want any of y'all to let yourself off the hook because it might be a temptation for you to go, well, I mean, Clayton's a pastor, so this applies to him because he teaches, I'm not not in ministry. I'm not a preacher. Yeah, preachers should be held to a higher standard, but that doesn't apply to me. I wanna tell you, yes, it does. It most certainly does apply to every single one of us because he goes on to say some very clear and simple things about how followers of Jesus use their mouth and how it affects others. Verse two, for we all stumble in many ways. So James does not expect us to be perfect. He is admitting to the fact that none of us is perfect. And then he says in verse, uh, the next part of that verse, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, able to also control the whole body. Now, and here's what he's about to do. He's about to do the same thing his brother did. James learned from Jesus. If you you follow Jesus' teachings, Jesus was exegetical. Jesus used narrative. Jesus used story. Jesus used visual aids. Jesus talked about fields and crops and fruit trees. He talked about fish and birds. He talked about clothing. Jesus is always using items that people were familiar with. To make a point, he was trying to drive home to their heart. James is about to do the same thing. Now watch what he does. He compares your mouth and my tongue to three things. Very simple. He compares what we say and how we say our words to ships, horses, and fire. Very, very interesting. This is what he says. Now, if we put a, uh, well, let's go back. He was mature, able to control his whole body. Now, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we can direct their whole bodies. So a horse is a wild animal. The only way you domesticate a horse, the only way you can control a horse is to put a tiny sliver of metal in their mouth and attach that piece of metal to a leather strap so that when you climb on the horse's back, you can pull to the right and that horse's head will turn to the right. You'll pull to the left and the horse's head will pull to the left. You can pull back and the horse will stop. If you ever ridden a horse, you know how that works. So this wild animal, the horse, can be controlled by one small thing, the bit. He uses that example. And then he goes on in the next verse, verse four, and says, and consider ships, Though very large and driven by fierce winds, they're guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too though, the tongue is a small part of the body, yet it boasts great things. So now he moves on to another illustration, another analogy. He says, think about a ship. I've been on some small ships. Grew up on a farm, my dad had a John boat. If you wanted to go anywhere in a John boat, you had to use a paddle. But when you get on a big ship, if you're on a cruise ship or any kind of ship that's bigger than that, you know, even if you're fishing on the lake, a boat with a motor, when that small oar turns, the entire ship goes where that that, uh, rudder turns it. Then he goes on to his third illustration. He's really trying to make a point here. So he uses three object lessons. Again, he had seen his brother do this. He learned this from the master preacher himself, Jesus. He goes on to use one more, one more example. He says, consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest. And a tongue, your tongue is a fire, the tongue a world of unrighteousness is placed among our body's members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire and is itself set on fire by, now listen to this, he ain't pulling no punches, y'all. It is set on fire by hell. Can I pause right here and just make an observation? I believe that from the text, we can surmise that James had been a pastor in a church long enough. He'd been living around people long enough. he had had enough one-on-one pastoral counseling sessions with people enough times, he had seen the damage that people's words do to each other. And so he is not, <laughs> I, got, I, I, I respect a man or a woman who is clear with their communication. I'm all about being diplomatic. I'm all about being you know, soft and kind. There's never a reason to be unkind. But at this stage in my life, what I really respect about my interactions with people, especially in leadership, is when someone can be clear and they can bring clarity I wanna know the truth. I need the bottom line. James gets to the bottom line. He says, our tongue is like a fire. A small spark can create a blaze. And before you know it, an entire forest has burned to the ground. And he says, that's what your tongue is like. That's what your words are like. By the way, notice the imagery here. If you've ever read the book of Acts, specifically Acts chapter two. What happens in Acts chapter two? It is the reverse of the curse of Babel. In the Old Testament, mankind had tried to build a tower up to heaven in ancient Babylon. And God frustrated their language because they built this tower. They forgot about God. Their arrogance and their pride puffed them up. And so God says, I'm going to confuse your languages. And that's where you can read about this in the book of Genesis. Languages were confused and people could not speak the same language anymore. Now, in Acts chapter 2, 40 days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, all these Jews are gathered from all over the world. They all speak different languages and they're in the The upper room, same room where Jesus took communion with His disciples right before He was crucified. And in the middle of their prayer meeting, all of a sudden, the Spirit of God descends into the room. Make sure you know this. The Spirit of God was not created or invented on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit is preexistent God with the Father and the Son. So anytime you see the phrase in the Old Testament, the Spirit of the Lord, that's the Holy Spirit. But when the Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2 in the upper room, He comes and He brings unity. They all understand each other's own words, even though they all speak different languages. One is speaking just for the sake of argument. Portuguese, another Spanish, another Swahili, another Malayalam, another Telugu, another English, another French, and all of a sudden they all understand each other. This is what the Spirit of God does. The Spirit never brings confusion. He always brings unity and clarity. So the Holy Spirit is reversing what happened at the Tower of Babel in Acts chapter two. And when you read the words of Luke in Acts chapter two, I love this. How does he describe the Holy Spirit's presence? Tongues of what? Fire. Tongues of fire. If the Holy Spirit lives in you and lives in me, one of the manifestations of his presence and his sanctification in us is that a tongue of fire symbolically and realistically will have an effect on our tongue and what we say. How we talk about people. The amount of sarcasm we use. The amount of cynicism we're comfortable with. And this is a mark of being filled with the Spirit. That he brings unity when our mouth, our tongue, our words can cut people apart and like a flame, destroy. Fire is is an amoral substance. Fire out of control kills people, destroys homes, and annihilates ecosystems. Fire in the proper context gives heat, gives warmth, produces power, and keeps us from freezing to death. And that's what James compares our words to. Three things, horses, wild animals, ships, large vessels, and fire, this powerful entity, that can be used for good or for evil. I wanna finish reading the passage and then take a few minutes to give you four simple things to remember about the power of our words. Because again, this is something I personally wrestle with. He goes on to say, verse seven, every kind of animal, bird and reptile and fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind but no one can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. He says, with the tongue we bless our Lord and Father and yet we curse people who are made in God's likeness. That's a problem. Let me go a step further. That's not right. Let me go a step even further. That is a sin. Not just an issue, not just a problem, it's a sin. And I love James for being clear. I thank God that his word is bringing clarity. And then he goes on to say this I need to hurry up. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. And then he asked a rhetorical question. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. I hope you can feel the energy in the room at Anderson University where I preached this message recently. This is a very special place to me. I actually serve as minister in residence at Anderson University, and this is where our ministry is based and located. Our offices are literally on the campus. So listen, if you're a student or even an adult, and you're looking to further your education in a Christian environment, I just don't know a better Christian institution than Anderson University. And I don't get paid to say that. I say it because it's true. It's a Christian environment where you can study ministry, you can go into pastoral care, youth ministry, or you can get a business degree, a kinesiology degree, uh, an engineering degree. If you're interested in furthering your education in a Christian environment, just check out andersonuniversity.edu. Now, back to the message. I gotta give you four simple things to remember. Number one, write them down straight from the scripture. What you say affects your soul. I don't think I've gotta make a point that it affects other people. You know how other people's words affect you. I know how other people's negativity can, can gut me. I know how words affect me when other people say them. I wanna help you understand this. He's getting, to, he's getting beneath the surface, James is pointing this out. You speak from your soul like a spring of water. He's getting to the point here, when you and I use our words to hurt people, it actually hurts us more because it rots the vessel in which they're contained. So be careful when you speak because your words affect your soul. What you say actually affects your soul. I believe in positivity, but I believe in the gospel. And because I believe in the gospel, I wanna be a positive person. I can't be a positive person if I'm looking for fault and trying to find something wrong with people all the time and then using my mouth to to illustrate that to other people. It just affects your soul. So hey, if. You, If you struggle with sadness, if maybe there's anxiety in your life, if maybe you feel disconnected from people, I've been there, I've struggled with that too. If you feel like it's hard for you to have friendships, just do, let the Holy Spirit, look, let the Holy Spirit take the words from James, not Clayton's words, let the Bible speak to you. Maybe some of the negativity, maybe some of the ways that we feel, maybe the inability to find community, maybe the inability to actually connect with other people, it could be a result of the fact that I am saying too many negative, hurtful things out of my own mouth. Because that reflects a negativity in my soul towards other people. And nobody wants to be friends with me if I'm always negative toward them. Number two, your words are unbelievably powerful. And your words have the ability to change a person's day. They really do. Don't underestimate how much you can affect somebody else's life with your words. Oh, and by the way, your words are powerful, not just to the people you speak them to. Your words have power over you. Because what you say to yourself about yourself is true. If I'm always telling myself, nobody likes me, nobody wants to be my friend, then of course I'm gonna live out that reality. If you're always telling yourself, I'm really not gonna be that successful. I'm really not that smart. Nobody really wants to be my friend. Nobody really wants to hang out with me. There was a get together. I know because I saw it on Instagram, I wasn't invited. I guess I'm just the guy that nobody wants to be friends with. If you tell yourself that, you are using the power of your own words to destroy yourself. Stop it. Just stop it. You're made in the image of God too. I'm not perfect, I'm not God, but I am made in the image of God. I am bought by the blood of God's son, Jesus Christ. I am a joint heir with him. That's who I am. I am not a piece of trash. I'm not garbage, neither are you. Tell yourself a better story about who you are. Don't use your words in a negative way to destroy yourself. Don't use your own words, your own self-talk, the words that you think and believe about yourself in your head. Satan may fill your your mind with lies about you. You fill your mind and your heart with the truth from God's word about what God says about you. You are loved by God. If what we say we believe, I wrote this down because I wanted to say it right. If what we say we believe doesn't match up with the words we speak. There's only one word to describe us, hypocrite. So a hypocrite is someone who puts on a costume, dresses up, puts on a mask to hide their identity, plays a part that's not really who they are. Our words show who we really are because they show it's in our soul. This is hard for me to preach, y'all. It's hard for me to preach because I struggle with this. And then the final point from this scripture. It's not enough to think good things, we must actively say good things. All right, so let's move on to the positive. If we know that we shouldn't use our words to tear other people down and destroy our own lives by negative self-talk and believing lies from the enemy when God has said that we are loved and blessed, then what should we do with our words? We should use our words to say good things. James says it. He doesn't rebuke them for using their words to bless. He rebuked them for using their words to curse other people. So what should we do? We should use our words to build others up, to encourage people. If you have no friends or you feel like you don't have enough friends or you feel like you're not loved or seen, can I, can I give you the absolute cheat code that is 100% effective for better friendships and better intimate relationships and greater community? Just start encouraging people. Everybody wants to be friends with an encourager. Everybody wants to hang around with someone that makes them feel valued. We can actually use our words to bless others and build them up. So be careful when you send that meme. Be careful in your text threads, what you say about people, the pictures that you send back and forth. Be careful because you are literally, you are affecting your own soul. I am affecting my own soul. The more sarcastic I am, the more cynical I become, the more negativity I allow into my own heart and out of my own mouth, the more I am creating a future I don't want for myself. This is from the Bible. It's not Clayton. I'd rather preach on something else. I'd also rather learn something else because this is hard stuff. But it's also pretty easy because if you have the Holy Spirit in you, There is a tongue of fire that lives inside of you that can burn out all of these destructive tendencies that all of us have to fight with. Don't do it in the power of your flesh. Do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Hey, let me give you an action item, something that you can actually do as a result of this message. Could you just imagine someone right now that you could reach out to to encourage? A phone call? a text message, a voice memo on your phone, or if you're married, could you just go tell your spouse right now how much you love them, how much you appreciate them. Maybe you could go encourage your kids that you care about them and you're thankful for them. Let's put this message to action. If you'd like to hear this message again, send it to a friend, or learn how to take a next step in your walk with Jesus, check us out at ClaytonKing.com.